You guys, uh, you guys like fall? I love fall, dude. I'm so excited about fall. I, I started fall like a month ago, even though it's still 90 degrees because of global warming or whatever the popular thing is now for why the Earth's climate changes as it has always changed for the last 2,000 years. But it does seem to be hotter later. I don't know. But I started fall about a month ago, and uh, last Sunday, uh, I, I, the message was heavy, heavy, heavy for me, and it's hard for me to be normal, and I try my best to rest and take naps Sunday afternoon, but I just, I'm usually just weighed down, and I was laying in the bed about 2.33, trying my best just to rest while the kids were resting, and if you're a parent, then you understand the invaluable time that that is, and I just couldn't stop thinking about pumpkins, and uh, so I started Googling uh, pumpkin patches and stuff. And, and, and a buddy of mine, actually Caleb, who led worship up here, uh, he had mentioned pumpkins and, and corn mazes that week. And so I texted him. I said, hey, I'm thinking about going to find some pumpkins. And uh, I said, you in? And he said, yeah, I am. So we went to a pumpkin patch, the only one that was open. And uh, they have a corn maze, uh, which is a bull-faced lie. It's a wheat maze. And halfway through it, I realized it wasn't corn because I stopped being able to breathe. And, uh, but while we were there, we did, we did the, we did the allergy maze. And, uh, as we were going in it, uh, there was this guy coming out and he looked, um, as if he had been in the fight of a life. Like he was sweaty. Uh, he was, uh, frustrated and he had a small child with him. And, and I said, was it hard? And he came out of the entrance, which wasn't a good sign, not the exit. And uh, I said, was it hard? And he said, I was in there for hours. <laughs> so I promise, not exaggerating for the sake of funny. I was in there for hours and he points, he goes, do you see that tree line, which looked like five miles away? It really wasn't. He says, I found myself back there. And then I found my way back here. And so I'm, and he just walks off. I was like, huh. And so I immediately think, well, he's an idiot and I'm smarter than he is. So we'll go, this will be good to go. This will, what do you mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> so we, we, we go into the maze and, uh, and sure as the world, we start making some decisions. It's fun at first. And, uh, and, and, and the guys are leading, you know, because that's what's up. And so we get about halfway through. And, and after I was so confidently making decisions and like, I've got this figured out, it's all left. Let's just keep going left. You just go left. Can't trick us if we go left. I kept going left. We wound up back, like back at the entrance, close. And so the girls took over. They started leading. They started dropping chips uh, just to give us some type of sign if we circled back around and and we kept going and we kept going, we kept going and a very, very long time passed. And at the end of the day, we, I recognized when we got somewhat close back to the entrance and we just gave up and just basically started plowing our way through and then got back to the entrance and walked out in miserable defeat. Um, but it was fun. And, and, and this morning as I was, I was prepping uh, for this, the Lord just kind of brought that back to my memory because I remember writing the next day, I was just writing that a lot of times there's seasons of life where it kind of feels like that I felt in that maze. It felt like I'm moving and I'm making decisions and there was some fun times and some confident times and some not confident times. And we spent some time and some energy and a lot of energy. And, and, and it, at the end of it though, there was nothing to really show for it. We moved a lot, we did a lot, time went by, but we didn't really go anywhere. That, that we, we made decisions and, and we invested energy, time, effort, 
And, but at the, at the end of it, though, we, we didn't have any fruit to show for. We, we didn't, there wasn't anything to point at and say we accomplished or we did. It was just, it was just a lot of movement. Uh, there was just a lot of decision-making. There was just a lot, a lot of different emotions. Uh, and, and, but at the end of it all, we, 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 were, we were back where we started and there, we didn't really make any progress. We didn't really get anywhere. We didn't really go anywhere. And I just really started to, because I'm a preacher and that's what I do, I just started to really think, in many ways, how this resembles so many seasons of our actual life. That we, we feel like we're moving, we feel like we're making decisions, we feel like we're investing time, energy, resources, we're, 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 we're doing things, there's emotions, good and bad, there's positive, there's negative, there's happiness, there's joy, there's sadness, there's frustration, there's these things, but then when we look back over a series of months or even years, uh, that, that it seems like we just haven't gone anywhere, it seems like we haven't made any progress, it seems like there's not a lot of growth taking place, it just seems like we've been moving and there's been stuff happening and there's been busyness, but it just seems like not a lot has changed. And it seems like we haven't really gone a lot of places and, and there's nothing to really show for our time and our energy and our effort. And, 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 and I just began to believe in my heart uh, that this message this morning would start to speak to that. And at a minimum, if we'll let it, it will, it will give us an understanding of why we tend to live life like that so many times. Why, why we tend to, to go and do and be, but at the end of it, there's, there's anxiety, there's stress, there, there's movement, there's gain, there's loss, but then there's no fruit from it, especially on a spiritual level. There's no freedom from it. We still struggle with the same things. We still walk through the same ways. We, we still don't find uh, joy and things that we should find joy in, and, and it's just life, and it's just life. And I want to speak to that this morning. Uh, I, I want to start in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. And Ahab, uh, uh, the king of Israel, the wicked king of Israel, if you were here with us last week, there was a lot of detail about him. Uh, but he basically just led the, the kingdom of Israel into significant sin. And God brought a, a season of discipline up on Israel uh, for about three years. There was a drought. There was no rain. There was no dew. And they're getting to the end of this. And, and God calls Elijah out of hiding and brings him in, in, to Ahab and says, get Ahab, get the people of Israel, get the top of Mount Carmel. I'm about to show them that I'm God, basically. And so he goes out. He begins uh, to search out Ahab, Elijah does, and he tells Ahab, God's going to send rain, but first he's going to do a thing. So go get all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asheroth and all the people of Israel, and let's go to Mount Carmel. And basically, we'll just duke it out, and God, will, God is going to prove himself in a cool way. And so Ahab does that. He goes and gets all the prophets of Baal and Asheroth, and he gets all the people of Israel, and they all go uh, to to Mount Carmel. And, and then Elijah starts his conversation in 1 Kings 18, verse 20. And I'm only going to hang out here for just a second because it's, it's important, though, that we see the way that God instructed Elijah to have this conversation. Because you can have a conversation and get to an ending point, and you can, but the starting point can be a million different things. So it's very important that we understand the way at which God instructed Elijah to have this conversation with Ahab and with uh, the people of Israel. And this is what it says, 1 Kings 18, verse 20. It says, so, so Ahab sent throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver 
between two opinions. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So I want you to see the focus of this needs to be, I believe right here, right now, on the way at which God instructs Elijah to identify where this situation really is taking place and it's taking place in their minds. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? Now, the end point is obvious and is always uh, the end point when it comes to our relationship with God. If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. But you can't follow both. You can't do both because they bring two different ways of life. They bring two different perspectives of life. They, they, they bring two different directions, two different paths. It's, it's impossible to follow God and follow Baal. And so if God's God, follow him. And if, if Baal's God, then follow him. Uh, but don't you can't follow both. But what I wanna look at is the way at which God instructs Elijah to begin this conversation. And what he says is, is how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver between two opinions? And that word waver literally paints the picture of becoming limp or lame because of instability, because you've got like two rocks, two thoughts, two opinions, and you got one foot on one and one foot on the other, and you're wavering between them, adjusting your weight. It's impossible to stand on both of them at the same time. They're both pulling you in different directions. It's impossible to go. And so the, the idea, the reason that word waver in the Hebrew actually literally means limp is it says, because when you have two opposing opinions in your heart and in your mind, when you have two things that are, that are dominant up here, that it's impossible for you to actually make any progress. It's impossible for you to actually move forward. That's why the word wavering that they use in the Hebrew literally means to go limp or go lame because you're divided in your opinions. And so and we think of wavering like this, but the picture that they give is that because you have two dominant opinions going on in your mind that you cannot move forward, that you're limp, you're lame, you can't move, you can't gain progress, that you just stand still in this unstable, inconsistent life. That, that, that ultimately you've got to destroy and remove one of those opinions or remove the other one because as long as that you have two dominating opinions up here, it's going to be impossible for you to move forward. It's going to be impossible for you to go. It's going to be impossible for you to get anywhere because you're wavering between two opposing opinions. And, and the word opinion, is, is this is significant because I'm, I'm about to move to the New Testament really fast, but this word opinion is significant because you just, you've got to understand God's word is inerrant, it's perfect, it's powerful. Every letter of it, God instituted perfectly. And so to use this word opinion, he's making sure you understand that, that the battleground or the heart of this conversation is the mind, that, that, that there are two dominating thought processes, two dominating opinions, world views. And an opinion can be everything from what you think the best restaurant in town is uh, to a dominating competing worldview. That, that an opinion is something that you literally have in your mind and you say, you say I attribute weight to this. I attribute uh, value to this, that this is important. And this is what I think is right, or this is what I think is best. And that's your opinion. And when you have two opinions that are opposing one another, it creates instability, inconsistency. It makes it impossible for you to go. Time will pass. You'll You'll have energy spent, you'll have resources spent, decisions will be made, but ultimately as you, as time goes on, you don't actually go anywhere. As, as time goes on, nothing actually changes, nothing actually happens. And so he says, ultimately, how long are you gonna live your life like this? If God is God, follow him. 
If Baal is God and that's the opinion you wanna jump onto and hold onto, then do it. But you can't stay wavering between two. But unfortunately, that's what is most natural for God's people. That's what's most natural for the people of Israel because they do it constantly. That's what's most natural for us because Jesus specifically warns against this multiple times in multiple ways. I want to take you really fast because I want you to see the dominant power of an opinion that you have in your mind and how it affects your life. In first, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, Paul is, is, is teaching uh, the Corinthians about what he calls strongholds. And I know that there is a lot of contemporary thought around the idea of strongholds. You've probably heard the term spiritual strongholds. Um, and and, I, and I'm not one, I don't want to take away from anybody's thoughts or opinions on this, but I would have to just clarify really quickly that the only time that the Bible actually discusses strongholds, uh, and especially in the New Testament, it's in this scripture. It's the only one like it. And in this scripture, he gives explicit detail to what a stronghold really is. And I want you to see this. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, Paul says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war, war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension or high thing that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So Paul wants you to understand, now I'm, I'm not taking away from any other person's perspective or how they wanna use the word stronghold, but I'm just saying from a biblical standpoint, and I'm gonna always take the biblical standpoint over everybody else's opinion, that's just me, you don't have to, but that's just me. From a biblical standpoint, the only time we see stronghold as an actual word being used and an actual warning from God, and it says that it's so strong that it actually takes a divine weapon to tear down, he says those strongholds, what they are, are literal arguments or pretensions or high things or thought processes, literally opinions that become so important to you and so valuable to you in your mind that they dictate the way that you live your life. That a, that a true stronghold, a true stronghold literally is an argument that's inside of your mind. And that word argument is legismos and it literally is an opinion. It means an opinion. It's the idea of, it's a reasoning is what, how you would really uh, translate it. It's a reasoning. It, it paints the idea of you attributing weight to a certain idea over other ideas. That's how you gain an opinion. Whereas you go through and you're, you grow up eating food, uh, you start to think to yourself, a certain type of food is better than other types of food and you begin to attribute weight and value and you start to say, I think steak is the best food. That's your opinion. Somebody else says, I think sushi is the best food. That's your opinion. It's an idea or it's a thought process that, that gets in your mind that you start to attribute weight and value to and it becomes a stronghold in your mind. This is how 
worldviews exist. This is what drives us, that, that, that somewhere along the line, people have told you or you have learned from various ways, either from the Bible or from your parents or from schoolmates or from college or from the culture or from rappers and rockers or from politicians. But growing up, somebody somewhere along the way has communicated certain aspects of life to you that you picked up and they became a worldview to you. They became important to you. You attributed weight to them, either because you agreed with it or you were presented with evidence or because you valued whoever it was that put it in your heart or in your mind and you've taken that opinion and it's become such a dominant thought that it starts to drive the way you think, drive the way that you make decisions. It starts to drive your life. It becomes a guiding light to your life. That's what a stronghold is. And what Paul is actually saying is, is because it takes a divine weapon. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit, things like prayer, things like the living and active word of God to actually identify these strongholds or these arguments or these opinions that you have attributed weight to that actually lift themselves up against the knowledge of God in your life. So as God's trying to teach you uh, and to grow you and to expand your faith uh, and, 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 and to, to mature you and to produce fruit in your life and to take you places, he's saying that there are strongholds in your minds. There are opinions or there are things that you believe to be true or accurate and they're powerful to you and they're so powerful to you before you can continue to grow or before you can get somewhere that they have to be identified and demolished divinely by the power of the Holy Spirit dominantly through prayer and through the word of God. So that, and because I think sometimes if we, if we tend to think like that, that strongholds are these deeply evil, wicked things, then we will miss the ones that are most dominating in our life. That some of the most dominating strongholds in your life, some of the most do, uh, dominating opinions in your mind might not even be based in sin at all. In fact, when Christ warns us specifically of wavering between two things in almost identical language uh, that, that Elijah does, he warns us you cannot serve God and mammon, right? The great American idol, mammon, material things, wealth, possessions. He says, you cannot do it. It's impossible. He says up front, he calls this one out because this is one that is so plagued humanity. You cannot serve God. You cannot follow Christ. You cannot live for the will of God and also spend your life living for material possessions. It's impossible to do it. They are opposing life. They're opposing opinions. They go two different ways. It's impossible to do it. Christ himself pulls this one opinion, this one worldview out and says, if you think life is about money, possessions, materials, you will spend your life trying to get, gain, and acquire. And therefore, while you're doing that, it will be impossible for you to actually serve God. But everybody in this room just about grew up with the American dream mentality of what? Go to school, get good grades so you can go to college, so you can get a degree, so you can get a good job, so you can make money, so you can have a better life. Does that make sense? This is the most easiest dominant one in America. It dominates Christianity. It dominates the church. It dominates us. It destroys our potential in growth and in accomplishing the things that God has called us to do. But this is just one, one that Jesus thinks is important enough to call out specifically. But I wanna show you uh, ultimately uh, in, in, in Luke 8, uh, 14 and 15, that, that Christ gives another warning, a very, a very unique warning. He, this is in the parable of the four soils. 
So again, I want you to think from Elijah, opinions and arguments, things that you believe are true, things that you've attributed weight to. He says, there's these strongholds in your mind that are arguments that lift themselves up against the knowledge of God that prevents you from coming to know Christ at times, but for believers, it prevents you from growing in Christ and, and becoming fully sanctified and transformed that these things have to be addressed. And so then in, in, in Christ, as he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven and he's giving these parables, he says, I wanna tell you about the kingdom of heaven. And in this parable, he says, that I want you to look at, there's four soils, four different types of lives. And he says, the seed is the word of God. And he says, as a farmer goes out and he sows the seed or he sows the word of God, the gospel, the knowledge of God, as he sows this out, he says, some seed falls on, on, on like the path and there's no, it's, there's no ability to take a root. So it's not, they hear it, but they don't accept it. It says that the enemy actually comes and snatches it out, that they're not saved, that it just does, they hear it, but they just reject it for whatever reason. That another seed falls on, on, on uh, rocky ground, that they hear it and they accept it. Uh, but it doesn't take root in the second that there's difficulty because of the gospel or because of the knowledge of God that they just walk away. This would paint the picture of the idea of someone kind of hearing the gospel. Okay, heaven sounds better than hell. I, okay, Jesus seems like a cool guy. I'll do the Christianity thing. But then the second that life gets difficult, like God says, hey, you know what? There's some sins in your life that we gotta address. And rather than walking through the difficulty of that, they would just put Christ to the side, walk away from the faith and just continue to live their life because they don't want any difficulty to come. They don't wanna deal with anything in their life. But the other two, he goes into greater detail. He says, the third one, he says, it's like seed or like the word of God that's thrown among thorns. And as it takes root, it begins to grow up, but it gets choked out by the thorns. And then in Luke 8, 14, he, he, he gives the explanation in detail. And this is what he says. He says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna slow down here and I want you to hit this. I already hit riches, okay? And the other gospel says the deception of riches, meaning that there is a massive deception in life that we believe that money will make life easier, better, that joy will come. And that's why we tend to worship money more than anything else, because it's the only thing in life that can actually, in some ways, mimic God in our life. And so we get deceived into thinking there is actually peace and joy and possessions and wealth and riches. And so we spend our life trying to get it. And we already talked about that. That's ma'am, and that's what Christ talked about. The one I wanna look at, though, is worries. I wanna look at worries because this is unique. And I want you to see that, that, that the heart of this, he says that they do not mature, they do not bear fruit, that they do not grow because of these things, that they hear the word, they accept it, and it takes root and begins to grow, okay? So if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, this is probably, this is probably all of our starting points, that we hear the word, we accept it, we start to follow Christ, it takes root and we begin to grow. He says, but the third one is like the ones with the worries, riches and pleasures that thorns grow up around it and it chokes it out and it doesn't actually grow and it doesn't actually produce fruit and it doesn't actually mature. That life goes on, time goes on, energy spent, decisions are made, life happens, but there's no maturity, there's no spiritual growth, there's no fruit and there's no freedom. That you live your life being choked out, being strangled by the things in this world and the things in this life.
And the first one he says is worries. And that word worries is merminio. It literally means anxieties. And so the, the word anxiety, we usually, when we tend to think of, when we say, man, I'm anxious or I have anxiety, we tend to be describing the result of anxiety, the heaviness that comes from it, the stress that comes from it, the panic that comes from it, the sleepless nights that comes from it, all of the things that, that, that stress does to the human body and the human mind. But the word in itself, it just literally means the thing that divides our mind. It, it, it's a thought, it's a worry, it's something that, that, that has been established in your mind and divides your mind and you think there's value to this and so now you worry about it. And so this is important and this is so important in this conversation because what, what Christ is, is trying to relate it's the same thing Elijah was trying to relate on Mount Carmel. It's the same thing that Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians with the divine arguments. He says that there are people who hear the gospel, put their faith in Jesus, begin to follow Christ, but then as they're living their life, they pick up worries or they pick up anxieties. They pick up things that they think matter from this life, from this physical life, from this natural world that really don't matter. And they pick up this opinion, they pick up this anxiety, they pick up this thing and it becomes a dominant thought and they spend their life worrying about it, being anxious about it, going after it, trying to achieve it, trying to live with it. And it becomes such a weight on their back, such a burden on them, uh, such a stressor in their life that it begins to choke out the work of the gospel in their life, that it begins to choke out growth in their life, that it begins to choke out uh, uh, fruit in their life, that it begins to choke out, that, that they're, they're not getting anywhere in their life because of the worry that they've picked up from the world. And so I, let me just throw one more thing at you that, that has on and off dominated my thoughts for the last two years because it was such a heavy conviction. Christ made a promise about following him. He said, if you follow me, I wanna make you a promise up front. He goes, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Everybody heard that? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So if you follow me in this life and you feel the burden of life, then no, that is not me and you feel the weight of anxiety, then you need to know that is not me. Because if you follow me, and I'm the king of your life, and I'm the thing that you're worried about, I'm the, I'm the thing you're focused on, the division, there's no division of your mind. That's what anxiety, that's what Mermino means, the divided mind. There's nothing else divided your mind, then there won't be stress on you. There won't be anxiousness on you. The weight of it won't be on you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you have to know up front that there's some other yoke laying on your back other than what I've laid on you. And that you've actually chosen from this world and from this life to pick it up and put it on that you've actually, the thing that's choking you out comes from you wrapping the thorn around your throat. That you've decided that you've chosen somewhere along the way, this is important, this matters, I need this. And so now it becomes a worry, something to think about, something to consider, a weight in your life. Let just throw out one that's super easy that everybody can really understand. Uh, I think just because of the nature of the last couple generations, there's a lot of people that just sincerely believe that being popular and, and being well-liked by everybody is a, is a very, very important thing in life. Can we just all agree that that's something that we could probably all relate to? 
or at least the person we came to church with struggles with it. I know you don't. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. One, most people don't like each other. That's life. But if you go through life and you think, there's a song, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a pop rock band called uh, Bowling for Soup. Anybody ever listen to them? Come on, you're cool, let's go. You're awesome. All right. There's a, yeah, we go, let's go. Okay, the rest of you are losers. That's all that's just proved, okay? I'm just kidding, I'm totally playing with you. That's just an opinion that I have. But they, they write this song called High School Never Ends. And the whole point of this song is all the things that you think in junior high and high school are gonna fade after high school, you get up and you realize, nope. It just transfers into the career and into the world. And that everything that, that, that was so important in high school, literally, it's still important up here. And they start calling things out. And they're like, Brad Pitt's the quarterback. Uh, somebody else is the prom queen. You know, Bill Gates is the chess nerd. And he just got, and they start pointing out and they say, everybody's only worried about this and that. And they say, everything that mattered then matters now. That's, we do the same thing. We matter. I want to be liked. I want to be popular. I want to be friends. And so we, 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 we worry about this, especially now you throw social media into the mix. Now now you've got something that, that Instagram, they have proven that Instagram has psychologically damaged an entire generation of young girls because it's taken this thought of being liked and it's become such a dominant worry and anxiety in their mind. And now they can see evidence of it by the likes or not getting likes, by the attention they get or they don't get, that it has weighed down their life that to the point suicide in young girls is as high as it's ever been. This is part of what that, if you hear about the Facebook, Instagram controversy two weeks ago when the lady went to testify, she worked at Facebook and they said, they've proven this, they're just hiding it from everybody, right? And so this isn't an anti-Facebook thing. That's not what this is. My point is, is that I, I want you to see that if you pick up a worry from this life, being liked, getting attention, being popular is important. It's important to me that you pick up this worry, you put it on your back and it becomes a weight that Christ never intended for you to carry and that it starts to wrap around your throat. And so you're, while Christ is saying, I've prepared works for you to do in Ephesians, I've prepared works ahead of time, and I've designed your body and your mind to, specifically to do these things that I've prepared for you to do, you don't go do them because you spend your life focused on these other things and the weight of them are crashing you down, all right? What about being beautiful? Please don't raise your hand. Husbands, please don't point. Does anybody want to take a guess at the amount of billions of dollars that is spent on plastic surgery? Why is that? Well, because appearing attractive to people that I don't know and half of them I don't like is very important to me. And you just picked up a worry that Christ never intended for you to carry. Let's just do the money one just for fun, just for fun just for kicks and giggles. The, uh, you think this thing, I've, I've gotta be successful. I've gotta get this, I've gotta drive this, I've gotta live in this, I've gotta do this. And it becomes a weight and a worry. And stats, not, not Christian stats, the Bible taught this thousands of years ago, psychology starting to catch up and go what this has truly done to the American, specifically the American man, is that no matter what they do in life, they continue to feel like a failure 
because no matter what level they get to, what level of status they get to, what level of money they get to, what level of possession they get to, there's always something else beyond that. So they live their life never satisfied, never content in feeling one step behind. Insecurity develops in the weight of being a failure. They're not, by whose standard is the ultimate question. They feel the weight of being a failure and it weighs down on them and it destroys their image and it destroys their confidence in themselves and, and, and it weighs on them and they go through their life because they've created in their mind that it's like Ricky Bobby, there's only number one. You're first, you're last. The problem is in every neighborhood, there's always somebody with a bigger house and then the problem with that is there's always another neighborhood with a bigger house. And everybody's like, I've got the king of the house on Lake Norman. Lake Norman's a trash lake compared to most lakes all over America. <laughs> Prove me wrong. How many other lakes are there signs? Do not eat the fish. <laughs> Do not swim in certain areas for more than 10 minutes. Everybody's like, yeah, but I'm the king of this swamp. <laughs> and then there's the ocean. Right? And then well, I've got the, the king of the castle on the East Coast. What about the West Coast? What about Hawaii? Right? I mean, if, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big house in Hawaii that's right next to a volcano that overlooks the Pacific Ocean. Like, but the point is, is that it never ends. And so no matter where you go, you just continue. That's a weight that you were never meant to carry. But it dominates your life. It weighs you down. It causes stress. And it takes years from your life. Most of the time, it will take marriages from you. It will, it will absolutely destroy your relationship with your kids, all because you're trying to, to pick, you've picked up this anxiety, this thing in your life. And you Right? We could keep going. These are just some of the big ones. These are some of the big ones. Ah, we'll save that one. I feel like you can only kick somebody in the face so many times in one day. <laughs> He's saying switch it up, okay. The heart of it is this. It, Jesus is saying... And remember, we didn't really talk a lot about riches. We definitely talk about pleasures. Let's just talk about the worries. The heart of this is, is what he's saying, what he's communicating. He's communicating to you that, that what this life does and what the enemy does is he gives you everything he can think of for you to pick up and become a worry and an anxiety and an opinion and a stronghold so that you can put it on, weigh you down, choke you out so that time moves on, but you never grow. Right? Time moves on, but there's not a lot of fruit. There's decisions made, there's busyness, but the, there's, not, there's, not really, there's not really growth. And, and I wanna, I wanna, I'm gonna move to, okay, how, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? Multiple times, Jesus gives the answer to this all throughout scripture in the New Testament, over and over and over again, they give the answer to this. But I wanna, I wanna look at this one specifically in Philippians 4, 6 through 8. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to hold on to that just for a second. So he paints the picture. This is in, in all throughout the New Testament, almost word for word in different ways. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And in 1 Peter 5, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and cast the anxiety upon God because he cares for you. 
Right? There's this all through the New Testament. This specific one, he's saying, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. That if there is a worry in your life, if there's something that you've picked up, then you need to bring it to God. And that if you bring it to God in prayer and you bring it to God with petition, with thanksgiving, and you present your requests, you bring them to God, it says that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, meaning that, that when you're walking through the battle of strongholds, you got to think, you think it's true. This is the problem with strongholds is you think it's true. You think it's important. And so me preaching one message where I'm trying to tear it down in your life a little bit, it's going to take potentially more than that. So there's going to be a season where you have to, you have, and while God's totally revealing the depth of the stronghold and how serious it really is and removing it from your life, there's still days and weeks and months where you're still going to have anxiety from it that you don't need. You don't need to. So you need to learn to bring those to God. You need to learn to bring those in prayer, get along with God and say, God, I'm struggling with this. This is a worry in my life. It's creating anxiety. It's creating stress. And so I'm bringing it to you, Father. If this is a desire that's from you, God, then help me have faith. If it's not, remove it from my heart. I'm giving it to you. I'm laying it down before you. I trust you. Just take it from me. And he says that, that he'll send the peace of God and it will guard your heart and your mind. And we need to do that. The problem is, and this is the problem, is that we kind of know this to an extent. The problem is, is that we usually stop the teaching right there and we don't go down to the next verse, which in my opinion hits the actual source of the problem. See, verses six and a little bit of seven, verses six, it's telling you how to handle the anxiety that's already coming from the stronghold. It's telling you how to deal with the problem that's already there. But eight is telling you how to eliminate that problem from your life. And nobody ever talks about eight. I never hear eight preached. I'm kind of condemning myself. I've never preached it, right? But the Lord hit me so hard in this. So he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So I want, I want to tell you this. So now he's telling you how to handle the issue. You have a stronghold in your mind. You have this dominant thing in your mind. You've picked up this worry from life and from this world and it's creating anxiety in you and you need to bring that to God. And if you will bring it to God and you'll humble yourself before God and you'll lay it out with thanksgiving and petition that he'll, you cast it upon him. Like first Peter says, he takes it from you because he cares from you. He'll send the peace of God will come and it transcends all understanding, all of the way that you already think it'll transcend that. That's the power and the blessing of God's peace is that you can still think stupidly, but he'll bless you anyway with peace until he gets you to that time to remove it from you. That's that's what that's saying. It transcends all understanding. You can still have wrong understanding, but God's peace will come into your life while we deal with that. Does that make sense? But then he says, but anything that's true, think about that. Don't think about anything else. Anything that's noble, think about that. Don't think about anything else. Anything that's right and pure, think about that. Don't think about anything else. Anything that is, that is lovely and admirable, think about that. Don't think about anything else. Anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, then think about that, but don't think about anything else. This is the problem, is where do thoughts come from? Outside. So this is what we're trying to do. We try to come to God and ask for peace in our hearts without submitting and surrendering our minds. 
that, that God says, I'm gonna send my peace, not just to guard your heart, your soul, that, de that depth part of you, but I'm also gonna send it to guard your mind because your mind is where it matters the most because what's going on in your mind is gonna dictate what's going on in your heart. And he says this, he says, you, you wanna come and give me the anxiety, you wanna come and lay down the worry, but you still wanna keep listening to the news and listening to podcasts and listening to people from the culture and listening to rockers and rappers and listening to all these other people tell you what life is about, tell you what success is, tell you what good is, tell you what direction to go in life. You spend your life listening and taking in everything the world and the culture has to offer while most of the time limiting the amount of God's truth that gets into your life. And so while you're, you're being weighed down with worries and with stress and with anxiety and you're wavering between a thousand opinions uh, and, and your, your, your time's going on, but you're not going anywhere because you are not guarding the door of your mind, you continually let things from this culture and from this world, which the Bible makes explicitly clear is ruled by the prince of the power of the air. You let all this junk filter into your mind every single day for hours and hours at a time. So what else are you gonna do? If you, if you don't pick up 99 worries, there's still one more to pick up. That we don't, we don't do our minds justice by guarding what gets inside of it. That's what I'm circle all the way back around to Mount Carmel. That's what was going on with the prophets of, of Baal. That's why Jezebel, what she do? When she set up and she goes, I want them to worship Baal. I want them to be taken over by Asheroth. She killed all the prophets of God. She burned all the Bible. She did everything she could to make sure that every single day they heard from the culture and not from God. And right now, I'm, I'm here to tell you, there is a lot of people in a lot of powerful places that are working very hard for you to hear anything else but what is true, but what is noble, but what is right, but what is pure. But as of right now, you still have God's word in your life. You still have access to God anytime you want. You still have sermons and messages. You still have that which is good, that which is true, that which is noble. And so my advice to you is to obey the Lord in this calling and limit, if not not completely cut out all the other junk that's feeding your life and telling your mind what to think and what to do so that ultimately you'll get to a point where you won't have anxiousness and have to bring stuff to God because you've guarded your mind and you've thought on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, and you don't really care. You know that Christ loves you, so you don't really care if the world loves you. You know that Christ thinks you're beautiful and perfect, so you don't really care what other people think. Do you get what I'm saying? That, that we, we, what we want to do is we wanna live in the culture and let the culture tell us every day, all day long through the news, through Fox and CNN, through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, through news articles, through other people, through culture, through music. We, wanna, we want to give our minds over to this world and expect God to guard our hearts. And you need to understand that you think what you think because somebody told it to you. And if you live in a culture that is so clearly evil and so clearly wicked and so clearly godless and you hand your mind over to them and you let them tell you what life is about, you will have no possibility to ever take one. Time will move, you will make decisions, life will go on, but you will not grow, you will not expand, you will live your life with a weight and a burden you were never ever meant to carry. Think about what happened just for 30 days? I'm just saying, I know this is radical. I know what I'm about to say is like, lay your life down and die for Christ radical. But what if for 30 days, you didn't watch the news? What if for 30 days, you didn't get on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? 
What if for 30 days, the only thing you let in your mind came from the Bible? What if? What if for 30 days you didn't listen to the radio? Not even 106.9. What if for 30 days, all you, all just what if? I mean, what if, what if? I know that's crazy. I know that's insane. You can't even imagine your life without entertainment. What if for 30 days you didn't watch Netflix? What if for 30 days you didn't watch Amazon? What if for 30 days you didn't watch The Office? That would be hard for me. But I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm, 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 I'm telling you something. Where do you think the enemy gets into your mind from? From the world and the culture and everything around you. So what if for the first time in your life, you read the Bible, you believed it and you obeyed it? I know that's crazy, but what if, what if you just gave 30 days to God, okay? I'm not talking about fasting. I'll, we start talking about fasting and seeking God, that people panic. All right. You can still eat. All right. You still go to work. You still go work out at the gym. You still do your thing. But if for 30 days, while you prayed for God to send his peace to guard your heart and mind, you took steps to guard your heart and your mind from the thoughts of this world. And what if through that time, you prayed for God to identify those strongholds that are in our minds and those, those opinions that we're wavering between? And what if you brought all those to God and if for 30 days you were bringing them to God and you were protecting your mind, you may experience freedom, true freedom for the first time in your life. Because I'm telling you, you keep looking for a devil, but the devil ain't doing anything. It's what the devil's selling you that's killing you. And so I know this is, it's, it's not radical. In America, it's radical, but it's not radical. What if? I would be willing to bet you, and just so you know, I'm gonna do it. And I've already started the process of, of cutting things out. I'm gonna do it. And what if we did that for 30 days? Just 30 days. Just to see, just to see what the Spirit of God could do in our life. Because sometimes we think, God's not answering my prayer. I prayed for peace and I didn't get it. He did give you peace. You just picked up and put it back on your neck. He did untangle you. You just took it back from him and tangled it back up. What if we did this for 30 days? What if for 30 days we quit wavering? What if for 30 days we only thought on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy? What if for 30 days we just sought the Lord and brought anxiety and the worry and the opinions and the arguments down before him and prayed in the spirit, toiled over God's word and let the Lord work in our lives to tear down those strongholds, what if? I think your life could change and I think you could find freedom, the freedom you're so looking for. So I'm gonna do it. I would challenge you to seriously pray about doing it just to see what God could do.